This is the Powered Up Podcast, show 94. Welcome to a real-world education with insight and advice from teachers in the game, where current and former educators reveal what truly sets apart the great teachers and what it takes to make a positive impact on students. Whether you're in pre-service learning, new to the game, or a seasoned veteran, this is the show for you. You'll leave feeling inspired to take action because we are powering education by empowering you. Hey, what's going on, everyone? This is Kennerman, host of the Power to Podcast, and I am here without my co-host, Mr. Matt Rogers, and I am coming to you live from the Teach Better 2022 conference. So this episode, along with the next one, is going to be completely different than what we've done before. Uh, I had the opportunity to attend an amazing conference put on by the Teach Better Network. It's called Teach Better 2022. I'm here in Akron, Ohio, and I was a part of this awesome podcast row where there were other podcasters here recording live, and I had I was able to sit down and have short, fast, amazing conversations with people presenting and attending this conference. And so you're going to hear some of my conversations in this episode, and then in show 95, you will hear the rest of the conversations that I was able to engage in. And so for our introduction today, what I first want to highlight is consider going to conferences. Uh, consider going to this Teach Better one next year, wherever and whenever they do host it. But look at your area. What conferences are in your local network? What conferences are maybe a little bit farther away or maybe even you have to fly to? But consider looking at these conferences. Find ones that fit your niche or will put you outside of your comfort zone a little bit. Talk to your administrators about supporting you going, funding you going, and just go for it and try. The worst thing that they can say is no. Consider um, consider putting in an application to present. Sometimes that can help you get there at a little bit of a cheaper price point, as well as just putting yourself in a different situation. What's great about conferences is the ability to sit down and network with teachers and just talk to teachers. Go to social events, go out to have dinner with them. Just sit down and have great conversations, learn about what they do, learn about what why they do it, and just walk away with great strategies and ideas that you can bring to your classroom. So I'm going to turn over and we're going to hear from a few different guests that I was able to sit down and talk to at the Teach Better 2022 conference. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. You can find out more at teachbetter.com slash podcast. Now let's get back to the episode. So we are here live at the Teach Better 2022 conference, and I'm sitting down in Podcast Row, so it's an awesome setup where there's a lot of different podcasters here where teachers and attendees can come and sit down and have a conversation with me. So this is actually my first one. So please introduce yourself to our audience. Let us know where you come from and what your role and connection into education is. Right. Uh, my name is Scott Galeski. I'm a retired police detective and presently serving as a truant officer. Uh, assigned to schools through the courts and the Downriver Detroit, Michigan area. Okay, so retired police officer, not an educator at all in terms of the traditional sense. Correct. But what is your role in school districts and what is your role in the li lives of students in terms of supporting them? I do things a little different. Um, 
you know, the, the exclusionary punishment that officers are known for, the punitive, you know, taking them to court. I, um, I do more of a, a restorative mentoring. Um, it's, it's different. It's a different approach. Um, and uh, instead of, you know, fines and costs and probation, I, I have programs specific for kids that uh, they complete the programs and they benefit from them. It's anything from, uh, you know, they'll go to the dog pound and help out there. Um, I have an actual film program that these kids get assigned to and they learn, you know, film. Um, and then we have, you know, anger management, we have those things, but it's, it's a different approach and I'm with them the whole time. And a lot of times through this programs, they stay with it after. And, uh, you know, especially the film program. And it's the Down River Detroit Student Film Consortium. And that program is for at-risk kids, abused kids, kids that made bad decisions. Um, all the kids have faced some kind of adversity mm -hmm. um, in that program. And that's our strongest program right. with, with the, the best effect. But we've, we've uh, experienced, um, as far as recidivism, a drop 80% plus. Wow. Yeah, the kids aren't repeating the same things. Um, I, I am a firm believer in the school to prison pipeline. Police mm -hmm. officers can come in and get a kid in the system, mm -hmm. and it's a hard test to get out. Right. Um, this way, they're 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 learning something. They're building a rapport, and uh, you know, instead of that strike three method, I'm unconditional. Right. I stay with them. Right. So, what advice would you have for a teacher that maybe isn't working with as uh, as an adverse population that you're working with, but just a student in their classroom in general that is struggling to be engaged or is struggling to show any effort towards completing assignments, participating in the class. There's clearly maybe a little bit of a struggle in the home life, but just they're struggling to be as be their best. What advice would you give to teachers in terms of mentoring that relationship and and trying to build that student up in a positive way? It's it's going to take a little more effort. Um, in my experience, you got to peel back the layers. Mm -hmm. It's an onion, right? And you know, kids kids act out for reasons, right? And an example, uh, when a, a kid's bullying another student, you know, it's hands across America for the victim, right? Okay, and when we got to concentrate on the bully, why he's acting that way, and it, it usually you know comes from a, the home, right? Um, you know, kids aren't historically sociopaths. Right. At a young age, something that's developed over years of lying, and but um, I, I just, I just. So how do you how do you peel back the onion? What are some strategies? You got you got to you got to build a rapport. You gotta you gotta find out what their strengths are. Um, I I go around school districts and I find teachers like what kind of hobbies do they do? Mm -hmm. um, what I do is uh, I used to build models as a kid, and sometimes I build models with these kids. Mm -hmm. Um, the filmmaking, uh, you know, those kind of things. But teachers, you know, collect coins, anything. Some, anything besides education that you could turn a kid onto to build that relationship. And so trying to encourage them to find a hobby and, and finding it with them. Yeah, and, and you find it with them and you do it with them and you build that rapport. And you got to stick with it. You know, I mean, these. I'm not an administrator and I'm not in a classroom. I, I was a DARE officer for, mm -hmm. for, for quite some time. But 
you know, that kid that just disrupts the whole education process. You know, one kid that can find somebody in your school district that could reach out to this kid. Mm -hmm. You know, build that. Right. Uh, local businesses will help these kids. You know, go help out at the florist shop. Go, you know, and it's 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 beneficial. So, what do you see as? Um what do you see as some of the most shining moments of your, your work with students in terms of, and you can be very specific or, or, or general as well, just... I'm, I'm 57 years old and I, I've got hundreds of stories, mm -hmm. but um, some that stick out, uh, a young, young individual was, uh, is, uh, that, okay. no. yeah. uh, a young individual, he was sent down to the office throwing something in the classroom. Um, the principals weren't in, so they sent the kid to my office. Mm -hmm. And I liked him right away. I liked him. And he was mischievous. He, you know, he, he pushed, pushed the boundaries. So, you know, instead of getting him in and chewing on him for what he did, I said, what's your favorite comic character? And he said, the arrow. And we started building this relationship. And we talked and we talked. And then I ended it, culminated with... What'd you do? Why'd you do it? You think mm -hmm. it's a good idea? Mm -hmm. You don't know. You're gonna do it again, okay? So I'm thinking about this kid. I'm like, why does he look familiar? Why does he look familiar? Well, when I was a police detective, I had a case, uh, attempt homicide, and he was five years old at the time in that household. Him and his seven-year-old brother, and watched this terrible thing happen. And it's it's crazy how the universe. Cross, you, you know, you cross right. paths, right. and um, so this kid went into my film program. The mother remembered me; she appreciated, and we're like family, mm -hmm. you know. And just, just looking, looking in, peeling back the layers, mm -hmm. uh, you know, several, several stories of that nature. Right. That's incredible. So, whenever we have guests on our show, we always like to ask. Uh, we call it our exit ticket. Same four questions we ask every guest every week. So I'm going to ask you a couple of them okay. to wrap up our time here. So let's go with what is the best advice you have ever received, whether it be from a colleague, a supervisor you had, or even a student that you've, you've worked with? The best advice came from a principal. Um, it's actually a presenter here today. Uh, when I was working with the kid early when I got into the schools, she said, don't do the strike three method on him, you know. Don't quit on him because everybody else has, mm -hmm. you know. So that impact opened the door for this restorative mentoring that I do. I've always mentored kids. I've always done things, but now it's unconditional. So that's awesome. What is the best thing a teacher can do to make a student's school experience better? Peel back the layers. Peel. Get that onion out, peel it back, find out the root cause. Um, I know, you know, it's not up to teachers to go knocking on doors and everything, but sometimes school's the best thing a kid's got going, mm -hmm. you know. And that difficult kid, you know, if you can't do it, find somebody who can. And mm -hmm. there's somebody in that school district. Start that network. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. 
So last question is, how can our audience connect with you, follow you, reach out to you? What's the best way for our audience to, to um, learn more from you? Vicki Wilson Consulting. Um, I will come to your district. I will show you how to set up this restorative mentoring, bypassing the school to prison pipeline and the whole juvenile court system. Um, and then a film program on Facebook, Downriver Detroit Student Film Consortium. Awesome. I will link to all of that on our show notes page, which can be found at poweredup.com slash teachbetter22. Thank you for your time. I appreciate it. Thanks. I am sitting down with another fellow podcaster. Welcome. Thank you. Appreciate it. Can you introduce yourself? Let our audience know where you're from. Tell them about your podcast, but also your role in education. Yeah, my name's Eric Geis, and uh, my podcast is Got Tech, the podcast. We're out of we both live in Pennsylvania, but we teach in Jersey. Uh, we're tech coaches. My partner's name is uh, Nick Johnson. Uh, really, we're ed tech coaches during the day. We're science teachers. We're podcast enthusiasts, and we love podcasting. Our podcast is about uh, ed tech tools, finding ed tech tools for teachers to use in the classroom, doing all the research so they can just focus on teaching. Some of them are one, one stop, does a one particular function really mm -hmm. well. Others are more like project-based where you have to incorporate them in App Smash. Right, right. So going down that road with, with EdTech tools, what would you say is a re one really great tool that's super specific? It does one very minute function and then another one that is really comprehensive that teachers can use hopefully on a very frequent basis because I think there's benefit to two. There's some that you want to solve a specific problem and then other ones where as a teacher you feel like, all right, if I invest time into learning this, I can use it a lot and I invest time for my students to learn it, they're going to use it a lot. So, so both of those. We really strive to get teachers to pick an educational toolkit. So mm -hmm. it's your ed tech toolkit and that's where you try to move five to seven tools in that you're going to use throughout that year right? and stay with them. But one that I really enjoy, a specific tool that does something really well is Moat. Moat mm -hmm. is phenomenal for feedback. Uh, I use it for so many different activities as well. But it just gives, it's a Google extension that mm -hmm. gives personalized feedback to the students. During the pandemic, they love to hear your voice. Right. This is one that steps up for that. You could also get them to use it to help get them uh, students organized, right. like writing activities. I am yeah, explain very, how it works, because I yeah. love Moat. I'm a huge fan of it. So Moat works. It's an extension. You download it. And then what you do is anywhere that you want to leave a comment now, pretty much. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's really, really good in the G Suite. Yep. But in a Google Doc, if you want to leave a comment, you go to the comment, and then the Moat symbol pops up. You click on it, and you leave your audio feedback. Yep. Same thing. Google Slides has its own little button within Google Slides. You can leave feedback. Mm -hmm. So. The opportunities are endless. Take a Google slide, you have students put whatever they need on there, and then they use Moat to make it a gallery walk of their slide. Right. That's an easy use, right? Yep. So there's so many different uses that you could do with it. It's a very specific tool for feedback, mm -hmm. but within that, there's You can so be many. creative with it, and oh, it's, yeah. it's a huge, I think it's huge for teachers for efficiency, especially I was really encouraging, because I'm an instructional coach in my mm -hmm. district, and so I was working with a few high school English teachers who, three or four times a year they have you know four to eight page papers that their students are submitting and reading them and providing feedback is a huge time suck for them and so I showed him moat showed him how efficient it could be 
which the teacher loved for efficiency. And then we created a system where the students had to kind of fill out a reflection log showing that they actually used the feedback and listened to the feedback. And then moving forward, they had that, that reflection log and it was simple things like, what did I do really well? What did I not do really well that I need to improve? And then the next writing piece, it was, let's go back to that reflection log. Make sure you keep doing what you're great at. Don't repeat what you didn't do well at. Make sure that you're reaching out to me and asking, hey, you said last time my introduction wasn't organized. Is my introduction organized now? And then even sharing those feedback logs so students could look and say, wow, I'm really bad with conclusions, but my friend over here is great with conclusions. Let me collaborate with that that person. It all really stemmed from being more efficient with Moat. And it's kids like listening to it versus reading comments. It, it makes a little bit more sense. You can put depth in it more. Yeah, it's amazing. And you, you spoke on efficiency of the tool. I'll give you my example. I was an AP science teacher and I uh, with great labs. Mm-hmm. Claims, evidence, reasoning was the structure that we used. And I was saying the same things over and over and over right, again, right. writing them or typing right. them. And I have these big bear pulse that typing, I'm really slow, writing, really slow. But this allows me to be quicker. On a typical lab, it would take me about eight hours to grade a class, mm-hmm. uh, set of labs. It took me like two and a half when I used Moat. Right. So they have the ability to do canned comments. So mm-hmm. if you feel like you're saying, hey, this is not the correct format of writing a hypothesis. Right. You just go up to the canned comment, you drop it in, right. and you're off to the races. Right. Amazing. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. That's great. All right, so now the more comprehensive tool, one that we can use for a lot of different strategies in our classroom. All right, so the one that I'm, I'm pushing right now is Canva for Education. And I know both of these tools are starting to have a name for, like, they're, yep. they're known. Yep. But there are still schools out there that don't have Canva for Education, mm-hmm. and it's free to schools. Free. It, it is, is free, free for every teacher. Reach out to Scott Noons. He'll set you up. There's a plug for Scott. Yep. He can uh, throw me one later. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so Scott just started working there, and I was like, hey, can you help me get this set up? You know, my district... We don't have it. We all use mm-hmm. use it in some mm-hmm. capacity. But I really want to get the students involved. Students can make anything. Mm-hmm. Teachers can make anything. And now they're incorporating video editing right. yep. and screencasting. Yep. I mean, mind blown. This yes. Is, this is this is a tool that that can make a difference with that whole technology divide. Yep. Because as long as we can somehow find a way to get devices into kids' hands. This is a game changer tool. So sure. if you do not have it, you're an educator, you're in a school district, make sure you grab that one because that's just amazing. Yeah, it is. It's a it's a tool that I didn't use a lot uh, up until probably about last year. And now, like you said, seeing that there's doing video and screencasting, you know, being I'm not a, a tech coach, but I've always incorporated technology in my classroom. And the thing I've come to learn over the years is free isn't always the best. Canva's a is free for educators, but it's a paid platform. And the, even if you are paying for a platform, the benefit is there's somebody making money off of this, so they're going to continue to enhance and develop the product, hopefully, versus right. like if you find the, the light version of something, next year that thing's gone, and now you have to start the process over. But for Canva, yeah, teachers can either just prove that they're a teacher by like submitting like uh, their teaching certificate, and they can get it free for them individually, but work with your district, work with a tech coach or an instructional leader because they can work with Canva to get it unlocked for everybody instantly. So like ours is is open for every teacher. It's now in our single sign-on. So teachers don't have to do anything 
to get that premium account and it's the same for students that all have it yeah it's just it's amazing that that type of tool is free right but I think they get it I mean by us educating our students now right especially using Canva they're really hoping that after school is out right that those uh, free accounts turn into their paid accounts. Right, when they're in the business world. You yeah, know? and that's that's their thing. And I, I used Canva this morning for uh, Chad's keynote. I right. took a picture of him. I put it in a nice frame. I added some text. I put it on Twitter. Yep. It was super easy to use. The yep. mobile version is super easy to use. And it's just one of those go-get-em tools. Yep. So, yeah, I mean... Sometimes it's it's good to also, as districts are trying to look to spend their money and stuff, don't be afraid to reach out and ask for free trials to yep. these, these companies. Absolutely. So I also have a little side website that uh, Kyle Nemus, Nick Johnson. I had myself, Kyle on our show yeah, a while I, back. I, I recently uh, listened to that episode, but um, we, we have myedtechbundle.com, mm-hmm. and, and during the pandemic, a lot of different tech tools offered free you know trials or during right. that that teaching period right well our site it allows you to go in and try to help identify what tools might be worth your edtech your edtech toolkit yep so go on to my edtech bundle select some tools normally tools give you about two weeks to a month you know free trial or whatever mm-hmm. and uh teachers get busy yep. so we spend a day on it and we really want to go back to it but life gets busy we got to right. grade whatever well this is going to elongate that trial period for yep. two three months in some cases so go check that out i mean it's a free service yep our goal is to just a help both parties the tools get exposure right and hopefully if the teachers like them during the trial. They get a they get a subscriber, right? And also help the teachers, which is going to help the students. You know, find a tool that's going to enhance learning and increase student engagement. Yeah, absolutely. I would I would definitely check it out. I've used it a couple times, and it's just a great spot to look. Um, are there tools out there that you're not aware of, right? You know, it's a, it's a great resource as a, a starting point. So I want to wrap up our time here. We have a section called the exit ticket where we ask the same four questions every guest every week. So I'm going to ask you a couple of them. Uh, first thing, let's go with um, what is the best thing a teacher can do to make a student's school experience better? Get to know them. I mean, just really focus those first couple of months. When, when we came into education, I was always told not to smile until Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. Uh, I disagree with that wholeheartedly. Mm-hmm. Get to know your kids. Get to know how they tick, what they are interested in, and then try to build their educational experience around that through choice or however you want them to be right. creative. Right. That's awesome. And last question. It's easy to fall into facilitating a repetitive classroom. What do you think separates teachers who are constantly seeking to change, innovate, and just um, pursue new teaching strategies? I mean, those are your lifelong learners, and that's what we always say we want to be, but I don't feel like every teacher is a lifelong learner. So uh, going to PD conferences and things like that can help you know, change up your style. Don't be afraid to fail. Don't be afraid to take uh, chances. Ask for things. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would just say 
if you teach any type of subject and you feel like you're in a pattern, get with three other teachers and make a big choice board. That's going to vary up the learning, and it's going to allow you to also vary your practice and right. learn new things. Right. That's awesome. So to wrap up here, just let our audience know again how they can follow you, how they can connect with you in the future. Yeah, you can follow me. The, the best place is Twitter. Uh, that's at GuysGotTech, G-U-I-S-E, GotTech. And then uh, the podcast is at WeGotTech. And you could always just go over to our webpage, which is GotTech.com. Awesome. And uh, I really appreciate your time and having me on. Yeah, absolutely. It was nice meeting you. And we will link to all of that on our show notes page, which can be found at PowerEDUUp.com slash TeachBetter22. Thanks again. Awesome. That was great. I'm here live at the Teach Better 2022 conference, sitting down with another amazing attendee, another amazing guest uh, that I want to get to know. So to, first of all, welcome. Thank you for joining me. Please officially introduce yourself. Let us know where you're coming from and uh, let us know what your journey in education has been because you, you have a great story related to that. Okay, excellent. My name is Mike Rutherford and I am the founder and CEO of Got Learning, which stands for, GOT stands for... Uh, Growth over time, and uh, growth over time learning was built in my classroom uh, from 2015 to 2019, uh, where I needed a tool or I needed somewhere to be able to capture all of the qualitative learning evidence that my students were creating and we were conversing about, whether it's re uh, revisions and uh, uh, rough drafts and the feedback that I provided, and for them to be able to see that so that I could have them own their learning. Um, I came across this idea because I was a, uh, I started as a teacher and became a district technology, or I became a technology coach. Uh, what was your teaching background? My background is I taught uh, middle school. My first job was uh, teaching eighth grade or middle school social studies. Okay. And then went into being a uh, technology coach back in the very early in the mid 90s. Okay. Uh, then from there became a, a district technology coordinator on the East Coast. Okay. Um, but had an interesting time. I left there and uh, started the K-12 group at Blackboard, okay. uh, which is a, a major LMS. Um, and uh, from that, stayed in the private sector for many years, but eventually uh, returned to the classroom in 2014, um, where I found a classroom very, very different mm -hmm. um, than, than what I left. Uh, all of my students had a laptop. Mm -hmm. And that changed so many things because mm -hmm. it started, it really increased the amount of qualitative learning data. My students were putting things in, in, in Google Docs or in Word. Uh, they were emailing me. They were texting me, uh, you know, chatting in, in Google uh, to doing podcasts, to doing videos. I mean, it was like a, an, an enormous amount of qualitative learning data. And I felt like I was just, I spent so much time searching for that qualitative learning data on right. the kids. When I really wanted to take a deep dive on a student, the amount of searching I had to go do was incredible. Not only did I have handwritten things and, and projects and, and presentations that they did, but then I also had all that digital digital stuff. So I really looked, I really started cataloging it and realized that I was I was hitting about two to two thousand to twenty two hundred sources of data a week mm -hmm. um, across all my hundred and thirty five students. Um, and I couldn't, you can't, you can't manage that. Right. You know, I couldn't right. manage that with the current systems right. I have. And so that's why um, I wanted to be able to put everything into one spot. Um, and not only one spot for me, but also one spot for the student. So the student could see and be, take some ownership or student agency over their learning growth. Right. Because the, one of the key things is I was working with a student named Martha uh, on a project where she 
uh, as a um, literary essay. And she had been working on it, and we did lots of revisions, feedback, peer feedback, more revisions, um, had to provide some scaffolding uh, with the learning support teacher. And Martha was ready to go home and do her, her final draft and bring it in uh, two days later. And it was the end of the day, and basically I went down to the gym because I was coaching basketball, and I see at the end of the day, after you know 45 minutes where they had uh, middle school, um, what is it, where they do the middle school clubs and stuff. Right, right, right. I went in, and co- I was coaching varsity basketball, and I looked down on the floor, and there's Martha's stack of papers with paper clipped. And she's not around. She left it there. And it would have been cleaned up by the, you know, the janitorial staff mm-hmm. and thrown away. And the tears that would have happened there mm-hmm. were incredible. And the amount of work that she put into that and other people did to provide feedback. And I'm like, what are we doing? Right. Why do we have... we? Why don't we have one place where all of this this feedback, right. this learning, as the child is learning, is in one spot right. that they have access to, I have access to, parents have access to, other teachers have access to, so that we could we could uh, with help with that learning, um, and that was one of the big impetuses for right. me to start Got Learning, right. and have that kind of tool. And I think it's the thing that I love that you're highlighting is the students being a part of that. So in my classroom, student-centered learning was the driver force of everything that I did as a fifth grade teacher. And a lot, of, a lot of instruction was based on their performance on specific skills. And most of the time, because I, when I was teaching fifth grade, I had 30 students and I had 10 laptops. So I needed automatic grading tools to be very efficient, very fast, and because I couldn't have them on the device for a long time. So math, was, math and reading were the two uh, big spots that I was doing a lot of data collection. And so very simple example, kids would would solve a few math problems on a specific skill, and then they would go to a Google form, and it was either grading their um, like their number response, they would type in just the number answer, or a lot of times that wasn't feasible for the skill that we were doing, so there was multiple choice. And I, I was very adamant with the students that if you don't see your answer that you got, I don't want you to resolve. I want you to select the last option that's always an option called I don't know. And that means that you didn't know it, you didn't get it. Sometimes the kids told me that they would even pick I don't know, even if they got it right, because they didn't know how they got it right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so all that was automatically grading. But the thing that I encourage teachers is open the data conversation up to the students. I wanted the students to know what their scores were. So if it was a unit pretest, I didn't show them their scores because they were likely to do very poorly. There was no reason for them to see that. But when it was mid-unit checks, mid-skill checks, I showed them their answer or their scores because I wanted them to be aware, were they excelling? Were they still struggling? Were they still working towards that skill? And I would even have students come up to me and say, Mr. Arman, I, uh, I bombed that check, but I don't think I was paying attention. Do you mind if I try again? Yes, student, you can try learning again. But like, so I love how your platform is encouraging not only teacher efficiency and organization, which is imperative for teachers, but opening that conversation up to the, the students as well. So take me back to uh, Mr. Rutherford as a teacher. What was your class like? What, if, you, if we had a student right here that you taught at one time, let's say before you left for the private sector, okay. how would they, what would they describe your class as? Um, it was, it was a, a, I, I would say it was a class full of joy. Um, and I thought that that was important on the cultural side, is that it needed to be a, a happy place. Um, you know, we, we, we joked around, I was, in, I was a young teacher, 22 years old, right out of university, 
and uh, my mom had instilled in me the work hard, play hard. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to do that with the kids. You know, I was like, mm-hmm. hey, look, there are times we're going we're gonna to have fun, but then we're also going to have to be dial it down, which is a very difficult thing to do with middle schoolers, by the way. Uh, dial it down and, and do what we need to do mm-hmm. um, and be able to show those things. So um, it was a class. It was a active class, lots of movement. Um, once again, my mom was my mentor mm-hmm. as, a, as a teacher because my other teacher, the, the teacher mentor I had just down the hall, uh, basically just came in and said, hey, let me know if you need anything. And that was it. And, mm-hmm. and so I ended up having, and this, is, this, tells you, this gives me my age a little bit, but I used to have to call my mom and talk to her. And, and long distance then was actually a thing, you right. know, where you pay a dollar per minute <laughs> right. to talk to somebody. So I would videotape the class and, and, uh, and send her VHS tapes um, of what was going on. Uh, we didn't have FERPA or COPA or anything like that at right. that time, but right. I would send her the, I'd send her the VC, uh, VHS tapes. Um, and she'd give me feedback on, on what to do. So she helped me a lot with making my classroom very collaborative, uh, taught me the different, how to make it engaging and that entertainment is not synonymous with engagement. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's intellectual engagement, cultural engagement, all, all kinds of different levels of mm-hmm. different kinds of engagement. So it was fun. We worked hard. We, uh, we, it was a civics class. So we got to talk, it was 19, 1992, it was an election year. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was absolutely fantastic to let kids have their own voices. Right. Um, there are so many things that I did wrong, mm-hmm. you know, as, as mm-hmm. a teacher that I look back and I'm like, wow, I did Everybody not know okay. a lot of things. So, right. Uh, okay. But it was a it was it was a great, great experience. Right. And the, and the kids enjoyed coming to class. I enjoyed coming to class. That's awesome. So I always find it interesting when I get to talk to educators that were in some sort of private sector or teachers that had a career and then went back to school and became a teacher. You know, your your insert was in the middle because you all you always hear in classrooms you know we have to get you ready for the real world or in the real world you can't do that and i like to joke with teachers we went to school we went to college and we went back to school we've never been in the real world we don't know what the real world is like so what did you learn when you were in the private sector that you felt aside from the, the uh, obviously building that lms has taken you on the journey you've been on but aside from that what do you feel you learned in the private sector that had an impact on the way you facilitated your classroom or the way you interacted with students that was a little bit different when okay. you went back? Um, first, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give two answers on that. The first one is about the, the real world. And I, I, I look at it as uh, every, single one, every single person in the United States and, and in most countries goes to school. Mm-hmm. And that's very much part of the real world. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so I, I try to stay away from that word, that, that phrase, if you will, because... I, you know, I usually say outside the classroom because it is very much a real world, especially for those, those of us who have spent our entire lives in education. Um, so answer the second part of that question is, uh, what did I learn? I, I would have to say the thing that made the biggest impact on me in the private sector was assessment. Mm-hmm. And you go, wait a second, they don't, you don't test employees. And it's like, yeah, you, you kind of don't test mm-hmm. employees, but you do assess them. And, you, and as, a, as a manager or uh, working for a manager, you are assessed. And whether mm-hmm. that's by uh, the work that you do, um, if, you've been, if you've given a task to do, and you do that task and you give it to your manager, your manager just doesn't write something and say, okay, let's move on to the next task. Mm-hmm. If it's not right, 
it comes back. We meet. Hey, you need to go. You need to go. Uh, you know, you need to go meet with Shilpa, and, and Shilpa will help you understand how to do this a little bit better, so you can get this done. And so there was a lot of feedback, and there are these feedback loops that constantly happen through con conversations. Some of it was done face to face. Some of it was done asynchronous via email or Slack or whatever it may be. But it was that constant conversation on how to make and, and to make things better or to do the task better and, and actually have mastery of the task. And so the big surprise to me, and then, and then we look at the, uh, the annual, you, you think about summatively, how are you evaluated? Uh, you would have end of year reviews mm -hmm. um, in whatever that is. And so, and it was interesting because when you got into end of year reviews in the uh, outside of the classroom, they're all done qualitatively. You know, hey, this is what you do well. Mm -hmm. This is what you need to work on. And this is, you know, here's what I think you should be doing. Let's go ahead and set up a plan to do that. Mm -hmm. It's like, that was the big aha moment for mm -hmm. me. When I went back into the classroom, I was teaching uh, sixth grade humanities in, in a departmentalized uh, approach. Um, so I had all humanities students. I had, uh, so I had to teach kids reading and writing along with uh, the social studies part. And it became very difficult for me to sit there and someone would write a story or write a, a narrative for me to turn around and say, here's the grade. You know, and it's like, wait a second, that's not how I did it the last, you know, when I was outside, outside of the classroom, we talked about, hey, this is what you do well as a writer. Mm -hmm. This is what you need to work on. Let's look at uh, either your learning progressions or we called them roadmaps on our, our write, reading and writing continuums. This is what you need to work on next. Right. And I found that to be so much more powerful to be able to give or help the student own their learning mm -hmm. and know where they've come from, where they are, and where they need what they need to do to get better. Mm -hmm. And what happened from that was we focused on student learning, right? And that was like this angelic thing, and and, and that's where it was it was cool. We didn't talk about we weren't talking about grades, we weren't talking about behavior, we weren't talking about attendance or anything else like that. We were talking about them getting better as a writer. Right. And they knew exactly where they were. Mm -hmm. uh, that was that was the big epiphany I saw as uh, coming from uh, the private sector back in mm -hmm. the classroom. Yeah, and I, I think with that, you know, we as educators we have to teach students why that feedback is important and why that continuum is important. I was working with a high school English teacher who was uh, struggling to get students to use the feedback that he was providing and he was spending a lot of time giving them very specific feedback in their writing and I had the conversation with him, have you ever, have you ever explicitly taken the time to show the students why your feedback is valuable? And so we created a system which probably would have been a lot easier with your tool that, you're, that you've developed where the students looked at their feedback, cataloged their feedback, and then when it was their next writing assignment, they used that feedback to make sure Absolutely. they kept doing what they were good at right. and didn't keep doing what they weren't doing as well. They improved on that. And uh, we even set it up so that the students knew each other's feedback. So if I was struggling with a particular, if I was struggling to um, use transition words in my writing mm -hmm. and you are great at using transition words, I could use you as a resource, not just my teacher. Right. So really Absolutely. empowering them to, to work with each other. So I'd love to wrap up our time here with some exit ticket questions. They're the same four questions we ask every guest every week, which you're a listener, so you, you would know that. Uh, so I'm going to add math questions to do. No math okay, questions. Cool. No Thank math you. questions. Cool. Uh, so I'm going to ask you two. So 
let's go with this one. So the school year goes in waves where there are times where we're struggling, it's report card time, it's conference time where everything outside of teaching is, is really bogging us down. So what is something that you can say to a teacher in that moment to help them power up? In, in that moment is, you know, it is what it is at that time, but to know that those, those ups and downs, um, I'm going to quote, now, now I'm going to sound like a, a, another podcast, but uh, is every rose has its thorn, mm-hmm. if you will, not to quote Poison, this the band that's the hair band that's saying that back in the 1980s, is, uh, or you could use a roller coaster metaphor, let's use that instead, you know, there are ups and downs, mm-hmm. and there are times that, that it is, you're going up. Mm-hmm. And, and you got it. You, you know, this one of those things you got to power through. Whether that is you you eat a, you, know, you you go out and get a big box of Krispy Kreme donuts, or you, you drink coffee, or I used to go out and watch the movie Teachers. Mm-hmm. Um, if you've ever seen that with Nick Nolte, uh, that would just fire me up um, for many different quotes that are in there to get through those struggling times. To know that there is light at the end of the tunnel. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the best things to do with that is to have have not only mentors but people in your group that can help you support you through that Um, because each of us go in our own personal ups and downs some days you know you could have a really horrendous day but the teacher next to you your your teaching friend if you will had a great day Mm -hmm. and they they can help out and so those having those uh the the band of brothers or sisters that you can rely on is is super super important absolutely all right so last question what is the best advice you've ever received? Could be from a colleague, a supervisor, or even a student. I'd have to go, the best advice that I've ever received uh, would be from my mentor. I'm gonna go back to my mom, who is a, my mom is a, a teacher, administrator, and also uh, author. Um, was, I was, really, I was really confused when I was at undergrad because we, I, I had an entire class in undergrad teaching that did the difference between goals and objectives. And we wrote about that for an entire semester, which was, I think, pretty much a waste of time. Right. And so, uh, you know, my mom really helped me when I was, because I just went, I was starting to do student teaching rotations during this mm-hmm. time. And she goes, hey, look, what do you want the students to know and be able to do when you leave your classroom? And that, that was a little piece. Now, granted, there, there's, there, there isn't an assessment part in there. We didn't, she wasn't, she was helping me at that moment, at that time, as a pre-service teacher, of what do you want them to know and mm-hmm. be able to do? Mm-hmm. She didn't say, how are they gonna show it? I mean, how are you gonna, you know, all those kind of things. Right. She was just helping me at that moment. And that really helped me get away from the hand turkey moments mm-hmm. of an assignment. You know, mm-hmm. hey, we did hand turkeys, you know, at Thanksgiving. Well, mm-hmm. what, what did you want them to know and be able to do by doing that? Were right. you working on hand-eye coordination right. or something, you know, right. or was you just doing an activity? Right. And so that helped me immensely as a first year or pre-service teacher to realize this is what I want the students to know and be able to mm-hmm. do. Uh, and I thought that that was, I, I constantly think about that all the time. I, I think that's great advice because using the hand turkey, that's a great activity, especially if you want your kids to practice fine motor skills. Right. But knowing, having that mindset as the teacher helps you design the approach of the activity. Mm-hmm. So if that's what you want them to gain from doing the hand turkey, don't cut out the feathers for them ahead of time. They have to cut it out themselves, right? If, if your so, goal is to do fine motor skills, right? Exactly. exactly. You know, so you, just you know. just having that mindset can allow you to just make sure you're effectively approaching every activity that you do with the kids. And it doesn't mean that you have to do more work or more planning. It's just setting your mindset set yeah. for that. So to wrap up here, just let us know how our audience can follow along with you, connect with you, and also again about 
uh, f uh, reaching out about your your product that you have. Okay. Um, first off, you can get, the website is uh, gotlearning.com, G-O-T, learning, for, uh, which stands for growth over time. Uh, you can reach us there also on Twitter at growth over time. Um, also available on LinkedIn at Got Learning and also on Facebook. And we also, we also have a, a great teachers group on Facebook of teachers using Got Learning, people who really look at feedback and learning conversations as, uh, as, as important in their learning um, to get there. So, yeah, I, and you, get a, uh, you can jump online right now and get right into the platform and try it out. We even have a sample class so you can see what learning conversations look like and how using and having individual student record of their learning mm -hmm. is so key. So to be able to see that growth over time and how we are, are, are technology agnostic and content agnostic and process agnostic, how other teachers that even work in the same building use the platform differently right. to meet their needs. Right. So, And you can do that free just by jumping on the website right now. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time. We will link up to all of that on our show notes page, which can be found at powereduup.com slash teachbetter22. So, Mike, thanks again. Hey, thank you very much for having me on. I appreciate Absolutely. it. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you haven't already, please subscribe on whichever platform you're listening to or watching us on YouTube. Each week we get to talk to amazing educators. We're making a positive impact on the lives of students, their colleagues, administrators, and education as a whole. It's been such a privilege every week to be able to talk to these incredible individuals, learn from them, grow with them, and better myself and all of education through these conversations. If you haven't already, please consider sharing this with a colleague, someone who can benefit and be powered up from the experience of listening to these incredible conversations. Because of Powered Up, we are powering education by empowering you.